Hello and welcome to The Drawing Board. I'm Monita Rajpal. Every single one of us has a story worth telling. It's that story that shapes who we are at home and what we bring to our work every single day. It's in the details where we discover the moments that shaped us, the people who inspired us, and the choices that changed the course of our lives. When we start to get to know people on a deeper level, there is an appreciation for all that they bring to the table. So what better way to understand what separates WATG from the rest than to get to know the extraordinary talent that make WATG the world-class architecture and design firm that it truly is. Plus, we have some fun along the way. This week, my guest is Ronnie Tan, Director of Landscape at WATG Singapore. Ronnie's love for the outdoors is palpable. Growing up in a city like Singapore, there was no shortage of lush greenery for him to be inspired and nurtured by. It would be that sense of wonder that would inform his career choices from his role as an outdoor educator and corporate trainer with the Outward Bound movement to taking a leap of faith by retraining as a landscape architect. The constant was and continues to be Ronnie's desire to explore the beauty and intelligence of the natural world and how we can thrive with all that Mother Nature offers. This, along with an interest in how technology influences and shapes our relationship with nature, is what he brings to WATG. And despite being a self-described introvert, this conversation is truly engaging, fun, and special. Ronnie joins me from Singapore. Ronnie, it's such a pleasure to meet you. The pleasure is mine too, Monita. How would you describe what it is you do? I help to lead the landscape architecture team, hospitality, resort projects, or public space cover projects. Your story to becoming uh, and your journey to becoming a landscape architect wasn't what would be described as a direct path. What brought you to this profession? Landscape architecture hasn't always been my career. In fact, it's my second career. My first career was in outdoor education, organizational development, and, and corporate training uh, with Outward Bound Singapore. So it's, it's not conventional. I, I took one big long route before I ended up where I am today. Reason being is you know, I, I didn't have the, the opportunity to get educated in landscape architecture when I was young. Yeah, okay. Um, so I didn't have the resources. I wasn't. I didn't have the opportunity. So it, the opportunity arise you know, later on in life. Um, and why landscape architecture? It's it's you know, a combination of my various interests and the paths that I've taken in the past. You know, since young I've been quite outdoorsy. Right. Um, during school breaks, I'll be on the first train to Malaysia to climb hills. I'll find myself kayaking and sailing out in the seas. And during my army days in national service, you know, I was an army officer. So, so that, that culminated, that helped you know, in my love for the great outdoors. And plus the, the, a little bit of a flair in design, you know, yeah. So, so all, all the confluence coming together, you know, that's where I find myself. You know, that's what I end up doing in landscape architecture. From a design perspective, what has nature and being in nature taught you? I think the most important aspect of it is the appreciation of it 
and the importance of conserving our natural capital. I mean, right now there's there's a lot of talk about sustainability, you know, that we have to save the world and all, 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 all those keywords that's been thrown out there, right? But what does it really mean, right? What does it mean for a city dweller? What does it mean for, for a developer? What does it mean for a human being? So it, it probably means different things to different people, but you know, having past experiences being in embedding myself in, in the environment, in mother nature, I, I, I think I've got a bit more sensitivities towards this and it means more to me than probably you know, others. What does it mean to you? It's, it's everything. It's, it's, it's what you can see and feel and also the ephemeral, right? The sunlight filtering through the leaves in the forest, you know, the sound of the streams, of the water in the streams, um, the smell of fresh leaves you know, and, and, and the vegetation. Yeah, it's, it's all the sensorial covered qualities that comes together and, and that's what it means to me. It's yeah. a spiritual experience even. Um, mm. I know that, you know, for me personally, you know, I grew up, raised, worked pr- practically all of my life in a city different Mm. cities it was only about six years ago that we moved to the countryside switched our entire life from an urban Mm. existence to one that was rural Um, there's a place near where i live um and there's a forest and as the the moment i step into this forest i am transported to a different place Mm. emotionally uh mentally and as you say, it is an ex- it is a, a sensorial experience that I feel so small, uh, and in a really good way that I am part mm. of a bigger picture. Mm. And I think oftentimes we lose that sense of place in this world, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, Singapore is also a city, right? I mean, it's a city nation. Um, but what we have is nature embedded within the city, right? I mean, I, I can't, I, I've been living in an apartment my entire life, but, you know, next door, I've got a small little patch of greenery, right? And right now in Singapore, you find greenery all over the place. You, know, you have it on the rooftops, you have it on the sides of buildings, you have it in the neighborhood, right? So that's something that we're trying to do as entire country, which is to embed or infuse nature into the, the urban scape, into the urban fabric. Mm-hmm. As someone who has built a life and career directed by the love of the outdoors, what are your thoughts on how technology fits into that? I think there's, there's no escape in, in, in facing this technological digital tidal wave, right? That's something that we are also trying to explore here in WAT which is to, you know, how do we capitalize? How do we use technology you know, uh, in, in what we're trying to do here in the design of the landscapes, in the design of our, our, in the design of our projects? I think technology or, or digitization is a vehicle that we can leverage on you know, to advance our knowledge of nature and to help us design what's going to be to come in the future. 
there's a lot of things that we don't yet understand about our physical environment, right? Like it's only in the recent years that we are beginning to discover or explore the, some of the unknown facts about our Earth, right? So I, I think digital technology or, or being able to, to sense or, or get data of what's happening around us is important and that will help us in our design processes. What do you believe is important for us to consider mm-hmm. when it comes to landscape architecture and how it can impact the quality of our experiences, regardless of the space that we're, we're in, whether it's hospitality or an office space or a residential space? I think a lot of people have got the misconception that landscape architecture is about just planting trees or we deal just with plants, right? So a lot of people mentioned that you know, landscape architects are actually glorified gardeners. Mm-hmm. But you no, know, plants are just something that we use in our design. I mean, it's a planting material. It's a material, right? We do more than that. Landscape architects do more than that. You know, I always use the analogy or I use colors to simplify matters for, for, for people, for a lay person. Sure. So you've got green for the plants. You've got blue for the water. So landscape architects design waterways. We design sustainable urban systems you know, in terms of stormwater drainage. We do landform terrain uh, interventions. So that's the brown. Uh, we do placemaking. We appeal to people's uh, social economy, communities. That's probably the red. You know, and of course, we, we, we do simple structures and we deal with plazas, hardscapes and all that's the grey. Yeah. So, so landscape architecture entails uh, the whole spectrum of the built environment, actually. Mm. It's just that we don't build tall buildings. Our playing field is the outdoors, the, the outdoor environment, you know. So, Catherine Gustafsson, uh, one of the my compatriot landscape architect, you know, the, the landscape architect who designed the Princess Diana uh, Memorial. You know, she, she at least uh, once said that anything that has got a roof belongs to the architect, right? Anything else that's exposed to the sun belongs to the realm of landscape architects. So that's quite true. Yeah, and that's, that subtly sums up the role of a landscape architect, actually. How has that role and that playing field evolved over the years? It's evolved quite significantly, actually. I mean, if you look at how landscape designers, I'm not just, I'm not even talking about landscape architects, no, landscape designers. I mean, in, in medieval times, they would be en- engaged in probably gardens associated with the kitchen, with food, right? With, with roses, with, with flowering plants. Then, you know, you have got, landscape architects like uh, Frederick Law Olmsted who went on to design Central Park in New York, right? Yeah, or big grand gestures like the, the garden in Versailles, right? And right now you have got landscape architects who are designing memorials. They're designing, you know, yeah, public spaces, sure, you know, but they're also involved in conservation projects, right? So in those kind of projects, you know, it's not so much of design and developing, but you, know, you are going in with a very light touch and trying, you know, if possible, not to have anything at all, actually, right? 
It's about trying to conserve and trying to be sustainable and or even being regenerative, trying to do something that's net positive. So yeah, it's evolved through time actually. You know, the context has changed, the requirements, the demands has changed over time. How is having this second career of yours and even actually the the life that you've had before, how has being in nature and working with nature informed your perspective on life? Wow, that's a very big question. <laughs> Perspective it on is, life. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, wow. I think it's given me a different perspective that we shouldn't be anthropocentric. Whatever that we're designing for is not always the case whereby human beings are the clients, right? We're designing for the communities, and the communities is the entire spectrum of living things that's out there in a particular plot of land that we're entrusted with. So it can be human beings, of course, but it can also be the birds, the butterflies, you know, the creatures that live within it, right? And, or, and, and beyond. Because if, for example, uh, you're, you're given a site to work with, right? But that, that particular site with its physical boundaries is, is a political boundary. It's an imaginary boundary, right? The wildlife that resides within that boundary or beyond, they don't see that boundary. Mm. You know, to them, it's invisible, right? I, I mean, I've designed a development where the birds, you know, the, the clients are the birds, and the birds fly down to Singapore from Mongolia, China, and they are on their way to Australia, New Zealand, you see. So where's the boundary? Sure, yeah, the site boundary given to us by the human beings, by the clients are that set boundary. But, you know, if you look at the entire region, you know, the whole Asia, Australasia flyway, that's the boundary, right? So I, I think in that sense, it's given me a broader perspective on life and uh, what we do as landscape architects. You know, the impact of our work extends beyond what we have on hand. Yeah? And it's given me a bigger perspective, not just physically broader perspective, but in terms of time frame, in terms of the scale of things as well. The climate being what it is today, in that in many senses is predictable unpredictability. Temperatures are rising. There are extreme weather patterns. How does that impact your designs? And are there ways to work with those extremes, with extreme unpredictability? Yeah, that's a consideration that we have all the time, you know, at the back of my mind. Uh, back of our mind whenever we go into a project, which is you know, to be able to design for uh, climate change, design for uncertainties. You know, it may not even be for climate change. It may be for geophysical kind of a phenomenon. You know, like, like what you have right now, you have got earthquakes in Turkey and Syria, right? We would have to take into consideration the site context, the, the geophysical environment, and, and take that into consideration and, and design for it. Yeah. Like currently, I've got a project in the Philippines, and because it's an earthquake-prone zone, right? Yeah, we would have to take that into consideration, and whatever that we, we put in place, whatever we design, has to cater for any eventuality. The interesting thing is, in the sense of the unpredictability is, when you're designing, you're designing for eventualities that have already happened. But what about those that haven't and that we don't know what shape they'll take? Mm. That's a massive challenge, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't know what we don't know, right? Yeah. yeah. 
we, we, we could only, we can only design for, for the possibilities that we think will probably happen. So, so I, I guess with that, it, it shows the importance of being able to design a sustainable project that would be able to alleviate, to help with all these environmental conditions as much as possible. What are some of the more interesting challenges you face consistently as a landscape architect? I think one of them would be trying to get the clients on board mm-hmm. in terms of the sustainability message. Yeah. Because I think, today. yeah, yes. Wow. For clients, I think the, the bottom line is very important, right? The bottom line of being profitable in dollars and cents, that's very important. So sometimes I, I, I think some people tend to put that as a priority over other aspects of a project. Mm-hmm. That's why the triple bottom line is very important and, and, and we try to get that across to the client as much as possible. That, you know, apart from just being profit-driven, you know, looking at just dollars and cents, there are also other important aspects yeah. that we need to cater for. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of education. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes they just need to be brought on board and being enlightened to, to, to such aspects. And yeah, they may be sold on it. I guess it's also a different way of looking at what return on investment actually means. That oftentimes it has been defined with the dollar sign mm-hmm. attached to it as a return on investment. Whereas there has to be consideration of the, the social, societal impact as a return mm. on investment. And that's an important consideration to have today. And the other challenge is what I mentioned earlier, is that you know, we're not designing for human beings all the time, right? Necessarily designing for human beings all the time. You know, that we, we, we have to consider the other aspects of, of the environment in our design. And not being so caught up with being too human-centric. What would an ideal project look like for you? Probably a conservation project. Conservation in every sense of the word. Conserving the flora and fauna of a place. But also conserving the, the culture, the community. And making it work sustainably. In, in trying to conserve a site, we have to consider whether it's economically viable as well or not, right? For, for the people living within it, the communities. So yeah, my ideal project probably entails something like that, you know, a conservation project that ropes in the local community and making it equitable and, and, and uh, socially and economically viable for these people. You said in an interview once that as a designer of the environment, we need to understand the cultural and natural world and its processes. Only then will we be able to appreciate its beauty and design for the better. And that often comes with travel. What were your travel experiences growing up? I love traveling. I like to see, I like to see the world. I like to see, you know, not just the natural environment, but how human beings, how do people, how do the communities interact with the natural environment? And that's why I think I, I, I like to travel to the rural countrysides mm. to see how people have lived you know, in tandem with the natural environment and not just 
like what we do nowadays, going in with a, with a very heavy hand, slash and burn, and, and you know, cause tons of destruction as we go along. But rather, you know, communities of the past, how do they live sustainably with what they have on hand? So when I was growing up, and even till now, I, I love to travel to such places to experience it firsthand. Of course, I love the cities as well, you know, for its energy and vibrancy and, and the food. <laughs> yeah, we all do, right? Mm. Absolutely. Where did you grow up? Singapore. Born and bred in Singapore. Yeah, but I was educated in New Zealand and uh, London as well. And what were your, or who, were the biggest influences in your life? Mm, my parents, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm second generation Singaporean. My dad came from China. So I guess I, I, I got the spirit of adventure from him, traveling down trying to find new frontiers, trying to find new opportunities in Singapore when he was young. Um, and being, being traditional Chinese, I, I think I got my values of family, of how we interact with people, of how we should treat our elders from my parents, I guess. Sorry, I, I think you're trying to expect you know, me being no. influenced by some big names. No, no, no. Actually, I, I would rather hear the more personal. We can always say you know, some other big name or professional person is the influence, but I think the real influence comes from deeper within. Mm. It comes from much earlier in our life, yeah. and they are the ones that shape how we see not just the external world, but the internal world, how we see ourselves, mm. right? Yeah. How do you feel you've grown? Because you work in nature and it is such a meditative, medicinal experience to be able to do that. How do you feel you've grown and changed? Mm. I mean, having worked in, in nature or with nature, you know, sometimes... You know, we get into the nitty-gritty and the grind of our daily lives, right? Yeah. It's, it's, sometimes it allows me to just take a step back and say, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. The sun still sets, the sun still rises, you know. We still go around the sun and tomorrow will be a better day. So I, I think it allows me to, to have that perspective when days are difficult. Let's have some fun. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. Mm -hmm. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Yep. Okay. This advice, I got it from my outward bound days. Um, don't be afraid to lose sight of the shore if you were to find new adventures and you seek to find new oceans. Love that. Yeah. What would be something about you that would surprise other people that they probably don't know? Haha. <laughs> I am an extreme introvert. Yeah, I can find myself clam up in a room all by myself for days on end. Talking to people, being in a social setting is a learned response. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you're doing great right now. Well, thank you. <laughs> Tell me about some jobs you've had in the past. You mentioned you were in the army. What mm -hmm. about some other jobs you've had in the past? Oh, when I was very young, I sold shoes. Hmm. In between schools, during the holidays, yeah, trying to earn some quick bucks. Yeah, I sold yeah. shoes. Yeah, then apart from that, you know, I was you know helping out in school camps, 
So that's part of the whole you know, outdoor experience yeah. as well. Yeah. What were you taught was fundamental to a fulfilling life? Family as a core, then extending that outwards, it would be the, the country. Yeah. Very nationalistic, very confusion kind of uh, values, isn't it? It's important. Self, family, country. Beverage of choice? Currently, coffee with no sugar, no ice. Nice. Um, used to be Coca-Cola, but I think age is catching up. Go <laughs> 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 give it a go. Favorite meal? Chili crab. Mm. What feeling are you searching for most when you're working? Creativity, inspiration. Yeah, I crave for inspirations in, in working. It, it, it can be all kinds of possibility. I find myself looking through fashion magazines, um, product design, websites, of course, architecture. So I'm inspired by you know, the different other disciplines rather than landscape architecture, actually. Because I try to bridge, I try to you know, extend and be as transdisciplinary as possible. What did you grow up believing? Tons of stuff, actually. That we're capable of much more things than we think of, that we are capable of. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, the, the belief in oneself is very important. Ronnie, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for making the time to speak to me. Thank you, Monita. Thank you. It's my pleasure too. That was Ronnie Tan, Director of Landscape at WATG, speaking to me from Singapore. You've been listening to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast. I'm Monita Rajpal. Thank you for joining us.